Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Hello, I'm coming to you from a cornfield in Urbana, Illinois. Most of you know I was raised on a farm and corn was really important, probably the number one way our family made a living. However, this story is much, much bigger than cornfields. It has to do with my life on the farm and what I learned about two Bible principles. One was ownership and one was stewardship. We're actually in a series where I want to talk to you about who is the owner of everything around us? Who owns this? Us? God? somebody else here on earth and we just uh, work with it? There's lots of questions and issues, but to get you into this, I want to tell you a story that began in 1948. What a year. I was actually born in 1948 and I was just a wee baby and we moved onto this farm. Here's a picture of the place we moved to in that year in Eureka, Illinois. You'll see the big house and some outbuildings. It doesn't show the outhouse. We kids had quite a, a laugh. But the, owner used the outhouse all the time rather than make a mess in her own house. I mean, it was a little strange, but be that as it may, that's the truth. And having said that, uh, we were the stewards or the tenants. Our owner was Mrs. Bechtel. She lived in that big house all by herself. She was mostly a widow from the time we moved in. We, on the other hand, had six of us lived in a tiny house just off of this picture to the lower right. Didn't make the picture, about a third the size. We were just thankful to have a house. But having said that, Mrs. Bechtel was the owner. Owners receive half of the crop. I always thought she had the easy part. We, on the other hand, were the stewards or more commonly referred to as tenants or sharecroppers. We received the other half. We always had to do the work of putting in the crop, taking out the crop, taking care of the animals, doing all the work, keeping the place up. I thought we always had the hardest thing in the world. By the way, you farmers right now, a lot of you guys are my friends. I love to talk to you. But you guys are spoiled. We lived out in the cold. You live in heated and air-conditioned cabs, tractors that drive themselves. You watch the internet, TV, talk on your cell phones. It's like being in the living room. If I could have farmed under your conditions, I might still be farming. I guess God knew what he was doing by not letting me do that so that he got me into the ministry. Because when I was a kid, I had to drive the tractor myself and ran over many fence posts, much to the chagrin of my dad. Now, back to us. As stewards, we did a lot of things. We had a special relationship. In fact, the owner-steward relationship is, is vital. It has to be one of trust. But to just show you how we went above and beyond, and my dad always believed in doing a good job, we would take care of this lady in ways that weren't even required in the contract. In those days, Many women didn't drive. She was one of them. She never drove a car in her life. We took her to get her groceries. We took her to get her church. Took her to church. We took her to her beauty parlor. We did all sorts of things for her, and we had to keep the place completely clean. Probably one of the reasons to this day I love clean places. And uh, she was very particular, and if she'd catch us boys out and around, she'd have us go clean it up because she wanted her farm to look spick and span. Again, it worked because it was a relationship. My dad was kind. My mom said, let's get out of here. My dad said, no, God has said, stay here. Let's do these little things well and God will provide. And by the way, being a, a renter in those days was really a challenge because you had to keep your owner happy 
and you had to earn enough to stay alive and well. And so uh, it, it went back and forth. We also had to trust that she would love us and keep us around because she was known to get rid of renters. So you might ask me, what in the world does this have to do with the Bible? What well, has a lot? The Bible's all about owners and stewards. We're gonna look into that much closer because I think if you'll understand what the Bible's saying about how owners think and operate, how stewards think and operate, it'll help you understand how your finances fit into this bigger picture. And this story will be forever locked into your mind. I brought you here to this farm to talk more about owners and stewards. Huge Bible topics. In fact, it's a perfect segue into our series, Beyond Blessed. Julie opened it last week, giving us an understanding of the issue of stewardship is huge in our lives, but stewards can't be talked about without talking about owners. And so today we wanna to talk about who's the owner. Now this series is based on a book by Robert Morris entitled Beyond Blessed. The subtitle talks about living free of financial stress. Wow, how would you like that? Most of us live in all kinds of financial stress. I recommend you take some time, read his first book, The Blessed Life, and then go ahead and read this book, Beyond Blessed, two books that will change your life thinking financially. By the way, most people separate their spiritual life and their financial life. Jesus never does. He puts them one right over the other, and as you understand prospering in one, you'll prosper in the other. And you can look at either side, but if one's not prospering, the other probably won't prosper. If your finances are bad, your spiritual life will be weak. If your spiritual life is weak, I suspect your financial life is struggling. You know, financial stress is just a huge issue in our society. Uh, Julie pointed out last week it's affecting health, there's suicides, there's all kinds of marital problems. And I just wanna say, God has a plan for you and I to live beyond stress live freely as stewards, let him be the owner, let him have the worries. We just enjoy what he says to do as stewards and enjoy our role as we bless him as the owner. Well, who does own everything? You see, if we don't understand ownership and stewardship, it's a good chance that we're not even walking in the blessings of God. He designed the financial system to set you free of stress and worry, but it is a very specific, it's laid out in the Bible and it, depends on us understanding a couple of terms. Now, ownership, most of us have an idea of. We think we own this and we own that. We don't really understand God's ownership, so we'll look at that. Second of all, stewardship is a really strange word in our uh, age here in 2019. We just don't understand it. We don't use it very often. We use tenants, maybe renters, but stewardship, stewarding, is a bigger term. It helps us understand exactly what we are. So as we say that, what difference do these words make? For instance, if God does own it all, what's he want from us? If we're stewards, what's he want stewards to do? How are we supposed to function? And again, this is all designed to help us live a whole different way, live that abundant life that God called us to. Now let me just go aside for a moment. I'm not sharing this message because heaven is broke. God doesn't need your money. Uh, if you read Revelation, he lives on streets of gold. He's abundantly well, wealthy. Those who've been to heaven and come back say it's an indescribably beautiful place. The church has about a $5 million budget, and we're not preaching this so that you'll give us more money. This whole series is designed to set you free, me free, so that we can live that abundant life and walk in the fullness of everything that God has for us. Well, having said that, we're going to look at owners, stewards, and application. 
Let's dig in on the issue of ownership. As I said back on our time at the farm, your understanding of ownership and stewardship is largely formed when you were young, when you were small. I had a very clear picture that there were owners in the world, there were stewards in the world, and it began to shape me. It still shapes me to this day. But if you listen to little kids arguing and fighting, you might hear two little kids. My grandkids, for example, will often say, that's my toy. We clutch things, we grab at things, we want things. Or a slightly older kid might think he owns the room he lives in, decides to color on the walls. I sure that, I'm sure that makes mom and dad real, real happy. What about a teenager who takes the car without permission? Sort of like an ownership thing. I, well, this is the family's, I own it, I can take it when I want. Obviously, moms and dads don't think that way. So if we're not careful, we'll hold on to things too tightly. We'll think, I own this car, I own these clothes, I own this house, and we start thinking of ourselves. The Bible's much broader than that. Its picture of ownership goes back to the beginning. And if you understand the beginning, you can have a chance to understand where we are today. So what does the Bible say about ownership? Psalm 24 verse 1 puts it this way, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Well, that's an interesting perspective. Psalm 50 verses 10 and 11, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle of a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and, every, and all the animals of the field are mine. Now, some of you might say, oh, these are just religious platitudes. These are written by King David, a guy who really owned a lot of things, had what we would say was billions and billions of dollars worth of assets, and yet he understood somebody beyond him owned everything. Remember, this whole thing started in Adam, uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden. God owned everything. They were stewarding for him. They lost it. God's restoring everything. And in the book of Revelation, we see once again, God owns everything. So again, it's important you understand there are owners. There's one owner as far as us as Christians. That's God, the Father in heaven. Now, owners get to set expectations. It's just part of the way it works. They can give and take as they please. They set boundaries. They expect to be paid. I own a small piece of property. I expect to receive something back from it if you want to use it. They can ask others to manage it for them, and those are called stewards. We would sometimes call them renters or something else. But the bottom line is some form of compensation moves from the steward to the owner, and it's expected. Good owners are really special. They're trusting, they're kind, they're generous. Uh, by the way, good owners are hard to find, and so are good stewards. It always breaks my heart when I see stewards not doing the job well because the Bible says if we do little things well, we'll prosper and do bigger things. But we have a wonderful, gracious owner, our Father in heaven. And this guy is way beyond. He's one of a kind. He went way beyond anything you can ask. Imagine he adopted us. He loved us. He brought us into the family. He calls us sons and daughters. He gave us his holiness. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us a brand new start. In fact, he already gave us an inheritance. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and join heirs with his son right now. So what are the, expects, uh, the expectations then of our owner, the one who owns it all? Well, it revolves around a word called first fruits. And you'll find the word first fruits, firstborn, tithing, all is somewhat interchangeable in the Bible. First fruits, for example, is used over 30 times. Firstborn, over 70 times. You'll find tithe is used 
uh, numerous times, it has to do with the portion that goes to the owner. In fact, you'll see this word first so often, it's called the principle of the first. Firstborn, firstfruits, tithing, which is actually the first 10%, they can be used uh, interchangeably. And the Bible says that's what we as stewards give to the owner or our Father in heaven. See, as the Father receives it, we're acknowledging he's the owner. We're, we're showing that we understand this whole thing is his. He's letting us enjoy it, work with it, and live on it. We give him a share by faith. Just think of the farmers who used to give the firstborn lamb. They weren't even sure they'd have a secondborn lamb, but they had to have faith that God would fulfill his promise and be abundant. And so again, there's faith involved. Us as stewards giving allows us to acknowledge, hey, he's the great owner. He's in charge. This is all his. It builds relationship. And the whole thing of steward owner is always a relational thing. If it goes just to money, it will probably break down. It'll probably get to where it, uh, they'll separate. But our father has determined that we are to uh, live by this principle. In fact, there's a little catchphrase because you're giving him the first or the firstborn, supposed to be the best. It goes like this. We give him the first and the best and we keep the rest. Sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it, you? Solomon, who's thought to be the wisest man that ever lived, made this statement in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We would say your stock accounts or your bank accounts or you just your overall prosperity. But did you notice he said, bring your first fruits of all your produce, everything you grow and gain in, whether that's an actual crop, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your business, whether it's your salary, gifts, inheritances, you won the lottery. Yes, I actually said won the lottery. I often dream I'll win about a $500 million lottery and I give most of it to the Lord. I just, I have some really neat plans for it, but that's another subject. We'll get into that another time. Hopefully that will give you an understanding of the owners, but now we need to go to the stewards because stewards are a little more tricky. Most of us have a mental concept of an owner, the boss, he gets to set the guidelines. But what's a steward? How do we operate? How do we function? You see, it begins, first of all, by acknowledging there is an owner and quit viewing everything as ours. We have so prone to think, this is my bank account, this is my money, this is my things, you don't have any right to tell me what to do with my things. And probably as another human being, I have no right to tell you what to do with your things, but you signed on to be a member of the body of Christ with a new father in a new family, with a new authority structure, a new owner, if you will, and he has the right to speak to you. Can you imagine my father saying to uh, the landlady, the owner, you know, I don't believe I want to do anything that you're saying I'm going to do what I want to do. That would have ended the relationship in about a heartbeat. So again, we have a role to play as stewards. Now, what are those roles? How does a steward really do it? And by the way, I'm gonna hit this only lightly. I think Leah next week actually picks up on this and goes much deeper into how to be an effective steward. But let's take stewardship. What is it? It's caring for the assets of somebody else, caring for it well. Whether you're renting a home, you rent a hotel room, you rent a business space or a space where you run a business. There's all kinds of rentals, even renting tools for a weekend. I know I, as a renter, 
and I do it from time to time, I always think, how can I take care of this? Like I, that person would really want me to take care of. It breaks my heart more to break a rental thing than it does something I own. Why? Because I don't want to disappoint the owner. I'm always trying to get it in a good state. Now, sadly, we have a world that renters have a bad reputation. They often uh, take care of things very poorly. They say, we don't care about it. This isn't ours. And it doesn't really make a difference. But um, the duties of a renter, of the steward, are often laid out in a contract. You actually go to the store and rent something. You actually, if you look, there's a whole piece of paper you have to sign. I never read it, so I assume it means I'm supposed to take care of it. But it says what we can do, what we can expect. In our case, as Christians, we actually live under a covenant. Covenant, contract, roughly the same thing, that outlines what our owner will do for us. That's good. We live under the new covenant. Covenant is simply how God relates to a certain group of people at a certain time. We live under the new covenant. It is so good. We don't have to be a worry. We don't have to be fearful, worried. Any of that stuff all falls under the new covenant. Now, our stewardship role continues then as long as we have a good, healthy relationship. I'm talking especially here on an earthly sense. Uh, my dad, for example, he was desperate for a farm in 1948. We had lost a farm. We had in another town. He was out looking. All the farms were taken. This was the only farm left. My dad said, I think I'm going to take it. And everybody said, don't take that farm. That lady lets every renter steward go in two years. My dad said, I don't have any choice. I've got a family, a little baby. That was me. They had to take care of me. They had to find a house. Um, so he took the farm. My dad went over and beyond to be a good steward. He loved that lady. He took care of that lady. He worked with that lady. He not only made it two years, four years, six years. He made it 26 years until she passed away. And I've told you a story before. She ended up giving him the farm worth today millions of dollars. And it was like, Wow, would you say that's beyond blessed? Not everybody's going to end up with that kind of a story, but God has ways to take you beyond blessed when you do his financial plan and steward the things he's given you to do. The principle of the Bible, you steward well little things, you'll someday steward well big things. Wow, I, I, get, I get excited about that, but as let me go on to think of a steward, care for things properly, Take care of them in such a way as you benefit the owner, you bless the owner. And again, I want to point out how we steward really more than just our money. We steward our time, energy, and money. Take, for example, those of us that get up early in the morning to spend time with the Lord. What are we steward? We're stewarding our time to give him the first of that. Some of us show up on weekends. What are we doing? We're stewarding an hour to give it to God. First thing so that we can get our week off to a good start. So again, you'll, you'll see all of this as you go through. In fact, if you really want to get deep into this, and I don't have time to develop it in this message, but did you know your salvation and your money, God used the same plan to redeem both of them? You were saved by a firstborn and a firstfruits, Jesus Christ. Your money is redeemed through the use of firstborn, firstfruits, the tithe, it's an amazing story. You can read about it in, in Robert Morris's first book in the first few chapters. I think you'd endure, really enjoy it where he talks about God as creator, redeemer, and rewarder. It, th those books, by the way, if you haven't read them, spend some time. I think you'd enjoy them and find them very helpful. I promise you would spend some time talking about application. This is huge. We've talked about owners. We've talked about stewards. 
Now we need to know how we're going to fulfill our role as stewards. Well, it's relatively simple. And in fact, God has a passage in the Bible in Malachi chapter 3 that is outstanding for explaining this. It's a little lengthy. I want to read it and then we'll comment as I go. So I'll stop from time to time. Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Should people cheat God? You've cheated me. You ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You cheated me of the tithes and offerings that were due me. Let's stop right here. Remember how we had to weigh everything we brought in and we had to give 50% of what we brought in to the owner. If we'd have cheated, we'd have ended the relationship. My dad was scrupulously honest to the fact that he would make sure he came up short if anybody came up short. So he learned right away, owners are not someone you cheat. But God's saying to the Israelite people, you've cheated me. You haven't given me what's mine. What's mine? First fruits, firstborn and that. And go on here. You're under a curse. The whole nation has been cheating me. He says, now bring the tithes, which remember we said that's the first 10% or the first fruits into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Wow. Is that true? If I actually, as a good steward, bring in the what God, the owner, asks, he's going to open the windows of heaven? I have ability to get the windows of heaven open by simply obeying? That sounds pretty simple to me. I don't have to crank the windows of heaven open. I don't know how to do that. I know how to obey and bring the first fruits in. If you go on, it says, um, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And all the nations will call you blessed. Your land will be a delight. Like, wow, who wouldn't want that? So you see how he ties all this together. As the owner, he's saying, bring that first in. I will bless you. I will prosper you. I'll overflow. I'll stop the pest. Nations will be envious of you. See, I do think one of the things God wants is to build a people so uh, able to live in abundance and uh, the, the good things of God that people are going to say, I want what those people have. That's a good evangelistic tool, right? Jesus himself, some of you might say, oh yeah, um, Malachi, that's Old Testament. We don't have to pay attention. Jesus himself, and I'll just quote one portion of Matthew 23, uh, 23, he says, you should tithe. He's talking about giving. He says, you should tithe. He says there are more important things than tithing, but tithing is what starts the engine and gets it rolling. Now, I want to point something out. God is really generous. Our landlady, our owner, asked my dad for 50%. That's common. That's not unusual. She wasn't being mean or arbitrary. Our Father in Heaven says, I'd like you to give me the first fruits. Give me the first 10%. You keep the rest. Sounds pretty exciting. Well, I want to tell you, this journey is, is, is well worth it, but it's not exactly always easy. 1972, I became a Christian. And wow, I didn't want to give a dime. I belonged to a church that had no paid staff. We owned the building. It was free and clear. Each couple in the church was to give $100 for the lights, insurance, upkeep, you know, general stuff. I, under protest, would give my $100 sometime after Christmas and before New Year's only because my wife bugged me until I did. Why would God need money? My MBA in finance said, God, if he's as rich as he, he didn't make his own money. Well, things went on. 1977, Diane says to me one day, you know, I think we should tithe. We were uh, what they used to call dinks, double income, no kids. And uh, we had extra money and 
I thought, well, that's probably good. I kind of had a heart for God, but didn't know what to do with my money. And she got me in a weak moment. So we started tithing. My whole life changed in 1973, 77. And I asked God a few years later, I said, why did you do all those things in 1977? What things am I talking about? I was filled with the Holy Spirit, called to the ministry, and God showed us how to receive healing for our barrenness. And I told God, I said, if you'd have showed me that when I was 20 instead of 30, I'd really be something by the time I'm 30. Wrong thing to say to God, but that's another story. But God's answer really surprised me. He said the delay wasn't on God's side. It was on my side. He said, you were a worthless steward of what I gave you. You weren't stewarding anything. If I can't trust you with money, how could I trust you with anything bigger? Once we began to open our hearts, God poured out all those blessings, forever changed my life, redirected the course of our life and, and changed us. And so I just want to say to you, we have um, become avid tithers. In fact, we try to give somewhere between 15 and 20% a year. Uh, we'll make that much that it's just freely floating around and yet we've paid every bill. God has always been generous and kind. Now, for those of you who would like to join us in this great endeavor, We've created a few years ago something called the Tithing Invitation. You can see a picture of it there on the screen. Basically, it says this. If you haven't begun tithing, why don't you try it for four months? See what happens. Fill out this little card, sign up, put it in, and then send us a testimony at the end of four months and tell us how you liked it. By and large, most people that begin tithing never stop. You can't convince me to stop. Why? I understand the source of my financial uh, abundance. I understand why God blesses me. You know, sometimes we tell people you're too poor to tithe. No, you don't understand. That's the God's plan to getting you out of the doldrums and getting you to somewhere where you can live in abundance. Those of you that are already tithing, you might want to think to move to offerings. You know, Robert Morris in both books will make this statement. He doesn't believe giving first fruits is actually giving. He says, that's just what you owe. My dad didn't think giving the landlady 50% was giving anything to her. That's just what he owed. Morris goes on and says, offerings, which are above your first fruits, are what he calls the money that will really be blessed and multiplied. So those of you that are already tithing, you might want to read these books and take the challenge of, of God to go beyond, get into another realm. Let me tell you, that happened in my life. In 19, um, well, excuse me, in 2004, we built the large auditorium in Urbana. And we were trying to raise $6 million. God graciously gave us $8.5 million in the most spectacular uh, financial campaign I've ever seen. Uh, he was just in every part of it. And I asked our people if they would give double the amount they'd given for two years, or for three years, we were bringing in $2 million a year. And if you give double that for three years, we'd have an extra uh, $2 million a year, and that would make $6 million. And so I asked if they would do that, and I thought, that would be a good idea. We, we call it, uh, I'm in for double, is what we would say. And I told God, I said, hey, God, I'm in for double. Immediately, I sensed God's displeasure. He said, no, you're going in three times. I swallowed real hard. We had kids in college, and a lot of bills and everything. The Lord said, no, I want you in for three times. He said, okay. And we, we met every bill. In 2012, we added on the office complex, fixed the children's wing, added some things into youth and uh, chapel and that kind of stuff. And uh, I thought, well, I'll get out ahead of God this time. I'll time him for double. Complete silence on my prayer. God just didn't want to answer. And I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to give 
one year of salary over a two-year period. I said, oh. Then he said, and I want you to do it for your wife, too. Oh. If you figure that out, giving essentially half of a salary over each of the of a two-year period for a total, total one-year salary, that's five times. And it's like, okay, Lord, you really asked me a lot. And the Lord said, tell me how much it cost you to send your last three kids to college. They all had full athletic scholarships and I didn't pay a dime. He said, I'm just getting some of it back. And he and I have a fun relationship in money. And we go back and forth and I'll say, God, you promised to bless me. He said, yeah, and I'm asking you for some more. Remember whose money it is. I think, okay, you're right. It's your money you asked for. And you know, in that, in that year that we essentially had half salary where we gave up one salary for a year, but half salary for two years, we never missed a bill. We still got kids through school. We still were able to go on vacation. We were still able to live abundantly. So I, I just think it's so important that you realize God is really in this thing. He, he wants to take us way beyond what we've ever seen. He is an owner that loves you to really prosper. Just let me uh, put it this way. I have five kids. I hope they prosper when they leave my home. I don't want them to not prosper. Guess what? If they don't prosper, I have to take care of them. I want them to prosper more than me because someday I want them to take me out to dinner. I'm still waiting. I'm 71. One of these days, they're just going to say, Dad, you paid bills for years. I'm paying them from here on out. But our father, he is a great father. And, and he, we're actually called evil fathers. I want my kids to prosper. I really get irritated. These people say, well, God doesn't care if you prosper. Are you crazy? You know, you obviously haven't been a parent if you would make a statement like that. No, we all want our families to prosper. We all want to grow. We all want to see it, it get better. See, that's the abundant life he promised us. He didn't promise we'd all be millionaires, but he said, I'll take care of you. He said, the hungry, the, the godly will never go hungry. He said, I'll, I'll feed you. I'll, I'll clothe you. I'll provide what you need. Again, it's all understanding how to apply the principles of owner and steward and walk in it. And the whole thing of First Fruits is so, so exciting. Well, we've come full circle. I brought you back to the farm because this is where I learned about ownership and stewardship. It transformed my life. I didn't realize it, as I said, but now I've come to see the principles God ingrained in me then have been so, so important in my life. I've shared with you how God owns everything and we're the stewards. I said that God as owner expects first fruits, firstborn, tithe, they all flow together. But here's what I want to say to you. God promised us an abundant life. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have abundant life. How many of you noticed that when you were born again, life didn't automatically happen to be abundant? No matter what you tried, it didn't just one day it turned on and everything was perfect. No. Here's what I want to say. You need to make a choice. God has a financial plan, free of stress, free of worry. He's the owner. You're the steward. If you want to follow God's financial plan, I've outlined the start. And the following messages are going to get more detail on the steward's role and how it all flows. But I've given you the basic principle. The steward does what the owner asks. Our choice. Now, I have an MBA in finance. I understand the world's plan, and some of you can do really well doing the world's plan and ignoring God. That's okay. We don't have any problems if you do that, but I'm offering you an opportunity of a lifetime. God has a financial plan available to every one of you to make a difference and to change your lives. 
I think if you will give it a try, you'll be able to live what is my favorite verse in the Bible on uh, wealth and finances. It's 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, if you give generously, God will provide all you need and you will have plenty left over to share. Three key words, giving generously, all you need, and plenty to share. That's a pretty good life. In summary, I suggest if you choose to follow this, get ready to be blessed. Start watching the good things of God come your way. Watch stress and fear uh, leave your life as you begin to walk in the understanding of God's plan. So, a couple of things. Take time to learn about stewards, owners, first fruits, the principle of first, and then get ready because God wants to take you beyond what you can ask or imagine. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teaching.